Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Show notes can be found on rockstartoday.com forward slash podcast. You will also find a link to sign up to the Rockstar Today Backstage Pass Facebook group. And now your host, Randall. Welcome to Rockstar Today, the podcast that helps musicians quit their day jobs. Today, we have somebody special, Eric Alper. Now, Aww. Eric Alper is a freelance music publicist, a serious XM host. I took this from your social media. Shameless idealist, lifelong musicaholic, and basically a question machine on Twitter. Welcome to the show, Eric. No, thanks for the kind words. Special. I think I've been called that. You know, just to list the names of all the bands that you work with would be the show. It would take the whole hour, probably. So let's just not even go there. But some of the biggest names in music that you work with, uh, some of which which I've uh, I had a chance or the pleasure to speak to, but uh, many that I haven't. And the genres that you cover are so varied. It just mm-hmm. blew my mind. You know, you you had some metal, you've had some pop, some 90s like Duran Duran. Yeah, it's working with Guar in the morning, the Wiggles in the afternoon, and then uh, Duran Duran at night. You know, it's it's the variety of the size of life, right? It's how you, as a person in the music industry and, and as a person, you know, you expand your horizons. You try to figure out what's different and what's the same about everybody. And as long as I didn't confuse an interview request for the Wiggles and uh, Crayola Filth, I'm, I was good. <laughs> Did you get into classical yet? There's that, that's still that last, uh, last I've gone notch. Into, I've gone into more classical when I became independent. The, the record label and distribution company Koch and E1 that I worked for for just under 20 years. We did some classical, but the classicals always transcended the genre, meaning um, when I'm working with the Canadian brass, for instance, it's nice to know that the classical music people and the media are there. But it really it's about the brand and trying to work them to outlets that would normally not cover classical music. So one year we had the biggest selling CD of the year because it was a 250 CD box set of Mozart. Hmm. Now, people who wanted to do a review of it was not the people who cover classical music. It was people who cover rock and roll and other musical stuff because they couldn't believe that this box set could even exist. And of course, if they gave me 500 words for a review, they knew that they could keep it and then put it on the shelf to show how brilliantly smart that they were. Um, So, you know, whether it's the Wiggles or Guar or Ray Charles or um, a Duran Duran or... um, Nally McMaster. It's it's working with artists that seemingly you would think would be really genre specific, but part of my job and part of the job of the artist too is to get out of that box as much as they possibly could, not just in terms of musical style, but to show people that even if you don't cover Celtic Irish music in a daily newspaper, here's why you need to cover her because she's interesting. She's fascinating. This is what she does during the day. This is what she does that makes her so different. It's not a trick. It's just, I think artists have to realize that more and more that they're not just selling the music. The music is is almost secondary to everything now because it's really hard to get people to listen to music that they don't know. Uh-huh. It, it's why we're living in a singles world right now. It's why TikTok 
is blowing up over 15 second videos. What the media wants is what do I need to talk to this person for 15 minutes about on air or an hour in my podcast or write 700 words about? It's never about the music because writing about music is boring. Like, you know, technically inclined, most people are bored out of their mind listening to or reading about the technical aspects of music. Most people don't get it. So that's why we love the Beatles, because there were four distinct personalities. That's why we love Pete Townsend, is because of the things that he says. And I think you and I are both fans of long form writing. We like to see the whole story. Absolutely. The Beatles, you know, that that was like a what a seven hour documentary you put all together. It could have been 70 and I wanted more. Exactly. It was amazing. But it's amazing what camp people fill in. The Beatles are almost untouchable when it comes to criticism anyway. We get all that. The one camp is, this is fascinating. I love this. I felt like a fly on the wall watching these geniuses create some of the greatest songs in music history. And then the other side of it were a bunch of artists that I saw who were like, I get this. I understand this. I don't even want to be in the studio half the time. I can't watch other people do this too. <laughs> and so to me, it was brilliant because it was magic. I don't know how to write a song. Do you know how to write a song? I don't know how to do a guitar uh, solo. We no, both I share another play. thing in common. We do not play musical instruments. We, we cannot play if our lives depended on it. And the music world thanks us gloriously for that. I do collect vinyl, like it seems you do, looking at your back wall. Mm. I see Talk Talk. I see uh, Tears for Fears. Yep. I believe that's Chemical Brothers or James Addiction. I'm not too sure. Three Sides Live, possibly there. That's the one. Look at you. All right. I always like to start with the origin story. I think with you, we got to start with America Hot Wax. Yeah. I saw the movie called American Hot Wax that told the story of DJ Alan Freed. It was a docudrama. It wasn't a real documentary. But Alan Freed was the guy who created and coined the term rock and roll back in the early 1950s. And he was really one of the first people to actually play rock and roll on a commercial radio show and have one of the first concerts in Cleveland, Ohio, which is why the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is in Cleveland. And um, I was eight years old when I saw this movie in a movie theater. And um, up there on the big screen was the real life Jerry Lee Lewis and Chuck Berry playing themselves. It blew me away. It, It was like that was like my Star Wars where you saw people absolutely from another planet, have no idea who they are, have no idea how they got there. But all I wanted to know is that I wanted to be part of that world and had really no idea how to even do it. My grandfather had a bar in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern that's still standing. And I remember going there as a kid. But as I got older, I realized the importance of music within the community. And again, it wasn't about the blues people like a Jeff Healy playing there or Sash Jordan or Amanda Marshall or Rush. It was watching the neighborhood get together over food and alcohol and music. And the more that I learned about music, the more I learned about the world around me, politically, socially, what was going on in the economy. You know, music to me was history. It was the way that I was learning about the culture that I was in. But it all started that one day where I saw American Hot Wax. And then, of course, you had some memorable concerts at Seven, ABBA, uh, 11 years old, Genesis. Yeah, I think we're still chasing that high of <laughs> seeing those two bands. I mean, look, I had no idea what it meant to have 18,000 people in an arena. You're a kid. You don't get it, you know. But then 
when I was 11 and I saw Genesis, it was the first show that I saw without my parents, really. And it was like my first show that I got to see that I wanted to see. Yeah, I remember so much of that. And I've seen a lot of video from that tour that it's just like, oh, this is why I'm a music fan. This is it. This is exactly why. And I just saw them, you know, here we are 40 years later, just saw them a couple of weeks ago as well. So yeah, you know, I, I think we're all, we're all still looking for that, those moments of excitement that we see when the world kind of blows up um, in your direction in a good way. And of course, 1982, The Who. Yeah, I saw The Who in 1982 for their last tour and walked out and was like, I think something's wrong with my hearing. A couple of weeks later, we started to wear hearing aids afterwards. I lost about 40%, 50% of my hearing in both ears after that show. And I've worn hearing aids ever since and started a nonprofit organization along with my audiologist um, in my late teenage years to buy hearing aids in families who can't afford them. So a lot of a lot of the advocacy work that I do is about, you know, hearing protection, um, you know, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It's almost like a badge of honor, really, in a bizarre sort of way. What's the website if anybody wants to contribute? They can just go to that ericalper.com and they can check out here, here. Great. I'll put the link in the show notes anyway. Cool. I was going to ask, uh, before we go on to the modern days, what was your favorite memory from Grossman's Tavern? I mean, you were a kid in a bar. That was kind of cool at the time watching live music. Yeah. You know, a lot of the people that I met as a kid, they were draft dodgers from the Vietnam War. When people wanted to dodge the draft from America, they came over to Canada and they basically situated themselves in Kensington Market downtown. And Grossman Tavern was right across the street from Kensington Market. And and the market was just a hobnob of peace and love and, and hippies and all these different cultural groups. You had Japanese and Chinese and Jewish people and, and African-American and all of these cultures coming together um, with, within like seven blocks of one another. So a lot of the people and a lot of the adults that I met outside my family were draft dodgers that I didn't know it at the time. It wasn't until in the 90s and, and maybe... No, maybe late mid 80s is when I realized just how many people were hanging out there. My grandfather had rooms upstairs on the second floor of the bar, and he used to give draft dodgers a place to stay there for free, hiding out from the war while they were looking for jobs, while they were trying to get their papers. In 1992, Downchild Blues Band did a 25th anniversary re- reunion because it's a, kind of those bands that they have like 120 members. And my grandfather and I went and it was about maybe six months before he passed away from Alzheimer's and him and I, we were sitting at the back of the crowd and a guy came up to the table and he said, are you Albert Grossman? And I, and he said, yeah. And he gave him an envelope and said, just wanted to give you this and thank you. And we just left it at the table. We had no idea what it was. And, you know, we were just watching the show that night. And then at the end of it, he opened it up and inside was $10,000 of cash and a letter that my grandfather gave him a place to stay for free and gave him $150 in order to buy his first suit for a job that he ended up getting. And now he's a doctor at Toronto General Hospital and has been for a long time. And he was paying my grandfather back in interest. And he got married, had kids. But those are the stories of Toronto. That's where we've all come from in the last 50 or 60 years, are those people making a contribution and Grossman's Tavern and all those places in Kensington Market had an amazing, powerful effect that is still felt to this day when you go down to downtown Toronto, the Alma Combo and the Horseshoe and Lee's Palace and 
and, and so many of those really hip clothing stores like Black Market are all seemingly a stone's throw away from the 1960s and 70s in a city that tends not to treat its musical history very, very well. Well, obviously, Toronto is bursting with music. You are a publicist, first and foremost, I think, with the new company. So let's talk about that. What sets you apart as, you know, everybody wants to have their own, uh, you know, different style of doing things. What sets you apart as a publicist? And what do you think is your your branding for that? What makes you different? Um, what makes me so different than everybody else? And look, this is a very big country with not a lot of people in it. So there's plenty of space in the music world for everybody, really. And that was my whole philosophy is when I first started my independent company before I came on to Koch and then later on E1 was do it better and faster and cheaper than anybody else that was out there. And I was working a lot of independent artists that really had no need to work with a publicist at the time back in the late 1980s. It was a no-brainer for them to work with me because I was pretty inexpensive. And as I got better at doing this and the bands got better and everybody kind of rose up together. And now that I have my own company, it's the same thing. There's a lot of artists that other publicists wouldn't work with. They're like, oh, we don't want to talk to anybody that doesn't have more than a million followers on social media. And it's like, look, that works for them. It would never work for me. I'm happy to work with brand new artists who are doing their first single. Not everybody is going to get pitched to Entertainment Tonight Canada. Not everybody deserves to be on the cover of Now Magazine or the Georgia Strait. But there's a lot of things on a daily basis that I do with the artists, new and old, to help them out with social media, to come up with ideas for them to do, to kind of allow them to pull back the curtain a little bit and talk about who they are as people and, and have posts that recognize that stuff. So there's a lot of things that I do that's different only because I think of the world that I'm coming in from, not normally always as a publicist, but as a music fan of what do I want to see these artists to be? The media side is, look, every year there's a lack of less and less media outlets to be had. So the ability to go beyond what a publicist does, doing a little bit of management stuff, doing a little bit of what a booking agent should do and getting them ready for the next step. That's where I love to be. So whether you're a brand new artist or an artist who had hits in the 1950s and 60s, I'm happy to work with everybody in between. And I think we have to admit that being an artist in a modern day setting, you have to be almost an entrepreneur. You have to be a business. Yeah. You have to think of it as not just creating something in your bedroom, which everybody can do now. Yeah. But once that's done is how do you get found? How do you tell your story? I know you believe a lot in trying to find the story in an artist, find, finding out why we should listen to them. And finding out that why is often very difficult because they don't know until you extract it. Yeah. And sometimes by just talking to them, the answer comes. You know, there, right now there are 60,000 songs that are being uploaded each and every day on Spotify and 190,000 for New Music Friday. So why is anybody going to care about you? Because you're Canadian? They have a lot of Canadian artists. Because you're a woman? They have a lot of women artists. Because you're a member of the BIPOC community? There's a lot of that too. Because you happen to be a member of the LGBTQIA plus community? There's a lot of that as well. So what makes you so different? And kind of think about it and you drill a little bit deep into the questions and it really becomes their own experience and their own truth is worthy of having a story, is worthy of getting heard. And sometimes, you know, it's not easy, but 
whenever I get the artist to give me the list of the assets that I need in order to create the press release, there's a story in the photos. There's a story perhaps in the videos. There's a story in the the making of the album that they're not even aware of. But that's that's my job. And that's what I love to do is trying to find out why things happen the way that they do and to figure out how these artists I'm working with can get in on that as well. You're obviously a fan of music first. So when you mm. look at an artist, is the first thing you do listen to the music or do you speak to them first before you listen to the music? I have to admit, there's a couple of people I've worked with this year that they contacted me and I called them even before I heard the music and said, I'll work with you for free because I don't care what you're putting out. I just want to be able to work with you on this because you were so influential or I loved your music growing up. And then I listened to the music and then it didn't disappoint. But there's a lot of times um, because I know, I know there's people out there who only listen to stuff once and then they do go do an interview with them. So I know that the story is super important. And I also know that if I can get enthusiastic about something, then hopefully others will do the same. But normally it's just, it's people reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, I, I've got this brand new single. Let me know what you think. And normally they probably don't even realize I'm a publicist. Sometimes they just know me from, well, maybe he'll post about it on his blog or maybe he'll tweet about it on Twitter or play it on the radio show on Sirius. And then if I love it, I'll hit them back with, oh, hey, like, let me know what your plans are for this. And let's just kick around any ideas. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, no promises, no, you know, no pressure whatsoever. But if you're looking for some help, let me know. And I'm happy to put together a proposal for you. And more often than not, they kind of sign on because they know that I'm coming at it from a fan perspective, first and foremost, because I, I don't need their indie band to pay my rent. I have that covered. I'm good. I'm doing it because I love and I want to keep being challenged and keep doing what I'm doing. As long as I can do this for the rest of my natural life, I'm good. I you totally know? understand you. There are no ads on this podcast. Yeah. I, because I don't want to make money off of it. That's the simple truth. Yeah. There are better ways and faster ways and greater ways to make money from the music industry. It's not having a podcast and it's certainly not being a publicist. So, but I'm good because every day that I'm doing this is a day that I'm not doing something that I don't want to do. And at the end of it all, that's what it's really all about. That's what my grandfather taught me. That's what Alan Freed taught me all those years ago in American Hot Wax. That's what Jerry Lee Lewis taught me and Chuck Berry and all these people. They never had a plan B. They didn't say, I'm going to give this two years and go to law school. And then if it doesn't work out, I'll become a musician. No, no, it's going to be too late. I'll still work with you. Don't get me wrong. But by the time you're 26, if you're playing pop music, the world is not open to you as much as you think that it might if you were 19 years old or even 17 years old blowing up on TikTok. You know, that's just the reality of the situation. But it was always hard just because your competition as an artist now is 450,000 other songs that are being uploaded every week on Spotify. It was always difficult in the 80s when much music would only add three videos out of 120 that were submitted and you couldn't even afford to make a good video to compete with Michael Jackson. So it didn't matter. You had to just create the best song that anybody's ever heard. And it's still the same thing. Of course, one of the things that you do well is social media and 
Chuck Berry and all those, they didn't have social media back then. What are some of the mistakes you see the bands are doing with social media? What should they do? What should they not do? I find there's a lot of arguing. I find there's a lot of negativity. I find there's a lot of calling out people. Apart from and rap, which I think you, you know is is just fake. Well, like in the hip hop you know, community, there, there's yeah, those those yeah, those little sure. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you stories off my that were real that, but you know, at the end of the day, we could all leave social media tomorrow and nobody would care. Mm-hmm. But all you do is don't be surprised and have this Pikachu face of oh, when you tweet about you know Donald Trump and realize that. of your audience could unfollow you within 10 minutes. If you post about, you know, the controversial subjects, some artists are fittingly right into that Roseanne Cash, um, drive-by truckers, everybody, everybody should be able to take a stand. Everybody should do and post what they believe in. Absolutely. But don't be surprised if people call you out on it. And if you decide that, you know, you're going to go and slam some movie that came out on Netflix, don't be surprised if like one degree of one degree of one degree of separation somewhere down the line, somebody decides not to use your your music in their next film because they think that you stink because they think that, you know what? I got lots of other choices. I don't have to do. I, I had that working when I was looking for people at the company I was looking for a couple of of assistants and I went on to social media to read a couple of applicants just to see what they were all about. And one of them was slamming the biggest movie that the company had. And I get it. Not everybody has to like what, what we're putting out. I totally understand that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to spread that to the gospel of the world because nobody cares what you think. Nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares about whether or not if I ask too many questions, they're just angry and bitter anyway. But if you decide to slam Nickelback because they're just an easy target, well, don't be surprised if one day you were up for something that maybe Nickelback's management was like, nah, they're you know, they're a bunch of goofballs. I don't want to work with them. Why would I want to give them the time of the day? They don't like my band, you know? So you never know. And you always have to post on social media like your grandmother is watching you from behind going, do you really need to post that? I've always used, try to use social media for good. Try to teach my daughter, Hannah, to do the exact same thing. You know, we have the greatest tool in the history of, of communication and management and all people want to do, you know, <laughs> I mean, but people can say the same thing to me. I get it. Like, do like, you're no better. You just post questions and memes. Like, I get that. But, you know, there's a time and a place to start discussing and coming up with ideas, but everybody knows that like these people are, are digging in their heels. You're never going to change other people's opinions. And certainly it's not going to be done in 280 characters. So just be, be aware of what you post and, and don't be mean behind your screen. Cause there's enough negativity out there that you don't need to, to add to it. You shined when you started posting these little really short clips of a uh, tips for artists. Mm, that's yeah. why I got in contact with you because they were so good and they were like thinking outside the box, just little things that are going through your head that have some value. And I think that's one of the things I want to talk about is all yeah. these little things you give uh, tasks to your artists when it comes to social media. And I know a lot of artists are all about, this is what I did. This is my new single download. There are a lot of asks, but 
I think that you are leading the way and also doing gives. Is that something that you teach your artists? Yeah, every day, every moment of, of every day, along with the media stuff, because nobody really cares that you have a single out, but people care that you have a cat and a dog and people care what kind of movie that you just binge watched uh, or what series that you watched. And they want to know what charity you support. And they want to know why you happen to buy that guitar over that one. And they want to know the story behind your first drum kit. And they want to know what it's like in the 15 seconds before you get on stage for the first time. And they want to know who your friends are. And they want to know about your producer and your engineer. And how did you pick them? And what do they bring to the table? All of that has absolutely nothing to do with this song. And it has everything to do with who you are as a human being and as a musician. And that's what I tell artists all the time is it goes back to what you were saying before about the why anybody can follow you on social media. Anybody can like what you're posting about, but the ability for them to follow you and love your music and not only want to see you succeed, but help you succeed is based on who you are as a person. Taylor Swift is great at this. She's like, Here's me with my cats. Here's me with my squad. Here's me sleeping on a plane by my single. Here's me riding a horse. Here's my lyric sheet that I took a picture of that I covered up half of the words so that it kind of teases everything what's going on. Here's me working at a nonprofit organization, uh, handing out soup or delivering packages for the needy by my album. And all of the rest of the things that they do other than buy my single, buy my album, buy my single, watch my video, that's great, but nobody's going to do it unless they love you, you know? And, And that goes back to being the music fan that we talked about. I'm not buying a concert ticket for anybody my whole, my entire life, unless I've heard it on record. I don't hear it on record until I listen to it on the radio. And maybe more often than not, I'm kind of not giving you my money until I know for sure that you're worthy of that, you know? And it's not all the time. It's not like that. I'm like, you know, going through, wikipedia and encyclopedia to know who they're voting for but like yeah you 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 don't have to separate the art from the artist and a lot of people don't you know i think when it gets to the superstar stuff of controversial artists like a chris brown or michael jackson or or even chuck berry and jerry lee lewis like yeah like i get it but for the most part though it gets really boring watching somebody just sit there and promote on their social media all day long because we've seen it We've seen it once. We're only going to watch your video once, maybe twice. And that's with the best of videos. So you got to keep it interesting and keep it fresh. Keep that connection going. Yeah. Of course, back in those days, you did not have a personal relationship because they were a mystery. And that was kind of what made them special. They but were now, rock stars. There's you had no, no idea. Yeah. You had no idea what their hairstyles were like, unless you saw them in a magazine. And, and it was tightly controlled. It was like, you didn't get this interview unless it maybe passed through five or six different people and read at, you know, before it got published. But, you know, the audience demanded something different in the 80s than they did in the 90s. Then now we get the superstars that we deserve. We get the politicians we deserve. We get the successes and the failures sometimes that we deserve. And now if you're playing pop music and you're not posting once a day, you're forgotten about on the days that you're not posting because nobody's thinking about you. And of course, who knows when our listeners are going to hear this, but we are about to go into possibly other lockdowns. They're, they cancel a lot of the concerts that are been scheduled for the beginning of the new year and the end of this year. 
what is it that artists can do right now that you see that might be helping them either gain some traction or even make a little money while they're waiting for things to maybe come to some sort of normal or a new normal that we can all be used to? Yeah, I, I think this is it. I think this is what it's going to be for the next couple of years or so, at least, you know, in, in Canada specifically, it's really hard to book a tour. It's really hard to get people to come on out when half the country is in winter for half the year, it seems. But it's hard when you have the ability to tour and every province and every city has completely different rules. That's why we're not seeing a lot of big tours come into Canada when America is wide open for business. They haven't shut down in months and months and months. And even though that their cases have risen through the roof, but the artists have to realize that the things that they were doing in order to keep sane themselves and keeping their mental health aspect going and keep their audience going are the same thing that they need to do now. They need to, even when the world is opening up again, they need to keep having those, you know, Zoom concerts and, and online concerts as part of the marketing plan. There's no better way to reach a whole bunch of people halfway around the world than your very own studio with your iPhone or with their camera. I know a lot of artists who do these live shows at midnight or one o'clock in the morning, specifically going after and promoting it to the UK, which they're six hours ahead of us. If your audience is on the West Coast, don't perform at eight o'clock Eastern time because that's five o'clock their time. And a lot of people might be coming home from work at that time. So, you know, try to figure out as much as you can who your audience is and tailor make the stuff for them. I know artists are trying so hard to break through on TikTok, but if you play classic rock and you're just starting out, your audience may not be ever on TikTok. Your audience might be on Facebook because that tends to be a little bit of an older demographic that those people who are between the ages of 40 and 65 don't know anything new. And maybe they're waiting for your band to come. I know pop artists who are 16, 17, 18 years old that are trying to break it on Twitter. And it's like, forget it. Don't even bother. Try it for a couple of months and see how it goes. But if it doesn't work, don't worry about it. That's what Instagram and, and TikTok is there for you. So I think just trying to find out more and more who your audience is and don't stop creating and, and posting online because nobody's ever going to say, dude, you're posting too much. Nobody's ever said that in my entire history on social media. And I post 52 times a day because the person that reads something at eight o'clock in the morning on Monday is different from the person that reads it at 12 o'clock noon and Wednesday at three and Thursday at 6 p.m. and Friday at midnight and Saturday at 3 a.m. There are tools out there that will help you post in advance. And that's what I use all the time is the ability to do my work, but then also keep the social media stuff churning and churning and churning. I think we're kind of the same age. So you might remember Carmack. We're, we're both 29. <laughs> exactly. Carmack in the envelope. Yeah. Uh, there's always been three ways. A booze, a news, and a scooze. And then Johnny would go, yeah. There's always uh, three ways in the past that artists made money. It was always buy my album, buy my merch, buy my show ticket. Yeah. That's changing. We need to now think of what's number four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What are those things that are going to be different coming up? If you had to put your magic uh, prediction hat on. At the end of it all, I, I and I'm probably going to sound really old, but for decades and decades and decades and, and decades, it was all about how many tickets can you sell? The albums were one thing. 
But if you can sell tickets to your show, if you can get people to come out and see you live, everything else will follow. The interviews will happen to promote that show. You'll sell your merch. You'll sell the CDs and the vinyl records because you'll create that demand. But if you can sell that, that's great. I think we're definitely seeing a little bit of a tide turning with the next generation of music stars who can't sell a ticket, but seemingly have 15 to 55 million followers on social media. And they're making good money. Like they're making good money after all those quarter of a penny streams add up to tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, but only a handful of them are going to be around two years later. The mental health aspect of continuing to post and the pressure that these artists are facing when you become an Addison Ray or when you become an Olivia Rodrigo, it's immense. You see how many people that used to be YouTube influencers four years ago and how many people are still posting about it, you know? But at the end of it all, when you're an artist, there's nothing that's going to be able to replicate the playing live. I don't care what Facebook wants to do about meta. I don't care about AI. I don't care about 4D. It's not going to happen. It's never going to replace the idea of playing live. But again, it all depends on what kind of music you play. If you're a 16-year-old female pop singer, you may never be able to sell a ticket for 15 years because your audience is not used to going out. That audience is not you know, they're drinking less, they're smoking less, they're going out less, and their competition is not necessarily going to see a show. Their competition are video games and Netflix and everything else. So it goes back to finding who your audience is. But I think, you know, we're starting to see, you know, more music getting paid for on Twitch and on YouTube. So it's just going to be trying to get your music into as many places as possible and, and try everything once. And of course, if uh, you can get your your song in a TV show or a movie. How many times have I, you know, gone on and I, I Shazam something just because I'm hearing it. Oh, I know this song or I haven't heard this or who is this? Yeah. Shazam yeah. It, add it to a playlist. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how many songs are getting on these television shows or movies through no fault of anybody and through nobody's doing except for that music supervisor just happened to be on Facebook or happened to be on social media and heard something on a campus radio station. So that's why you can never really devalue what anybody wants to do for you in terms of the media. Again, not everybody's going to get entertainment tonight, Canada, but you never know when somebody's going to be listening to that campus radio show at two o'clock in the morning when they play you. And you can always parlay it into something bigger by thanking people, by posting on social media, by thanking the media outlet and keeping it on there. Thank you, sir. Actually, I have a thank you card right on my desk from a publicist and I have publicists that reach out to me. I'll do an article or an interview and they'll thank me personally, or they'll send me a note. Uh, some don't at all. Some bands never hear from them again. And then some will send me like a little card or sometimes vinyl or whatever. It's nice to be thanked. It does go a long way because you do think about it and you go, well, they appreciate it. And it is hours and hours sometimes. Yeah. Niceness goes a long way. Saying thank you goes a long way. Showing gratitude that that artist or, or that media outlet or that interviewer, that radio host or that producer wanted to have you on their program, have you on their airwaves, have you in print. Um, whenever I send something to the artist, I always say, please share tag and say thank you to the site. And if they don't, I'll call them out on it. I'll say, look, this is why you have to do it. It's not so that you can look good because again, posting on social media that you got in a magazine is not really all about just like 
hey guys, I'm in the new blah blah blah. Go check it out now. Great. I'm again like your fans may not want to do things for you. You know, it's what you can do for your fans. So use that opportunity to tell the story about that making of the song. When I was sitting in my room at three o'clock in the morning, heartbroken over getting dumped for the very first time, I could never believe that a song would be coming out and I would be in here. Boom, you've already made the connection between getting heartbroken and, and having that connection of why you wrote the song and you got to thank somebody and you got a story out of it. So, you know, there's always different ways that you can say thank you as well to not always have it to be like, look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah, and it's also about hopefully having the fans click on the article so that our work doesn't, I mean, the work as a writer I'm talking about yeah. does not go without having at least a couple eyeballs. That's all we Yeah, have. yeah. It's hard. I know. It, I, it's hard, you know. It's 15, a labor of love, like you said. It, it is. I mean, 15 years ago, the whole thing was all about blogs and MP3s and free downloads. And, and now it's, it's different. And it's, it's not necessarily better, not necessarily worse. It's just different, you know. But the music will always survive. There'll always be people that are willing to help out. If a band is not ready or doesn't have the budget yet to hire someone like you, what should they do to kind of get to a point where they're getting noticed a little bit more. Any tips that they can do themselves? Like the yeah, I DIY just, marketing. Yeah, I just stay active on social media. You know, the most frustrating thing I see on a regular basis is, is getting a song sent to me and I'll go on social media and they haven't posted in three and a half weeks. And I don't know if the band is still alive. I don't know if they're still active or not. And it tells me that really they're, they're, they don't really have anything going on. Um, they're not performing live. They're not trying to. Even if you've got four members in the band, split up the duties and, and give the drummer every Monday to post and then the guitarist every Tuesday and the bassist Wednesday and the lead singer Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because they probably have enough ego to come up with enough ideas. Like <laughs> split it, split it up. If you know, if the drummer doesn't like to talk, well then but is great at photography, then get them to do in the in the day in the life of the drummer, you know, just Keep active because you're never going to know who's watching social media and you never know where people are going to find music. And if it looks like that you're not active, then you're inactive and not worthy of their attention. Mm -hmm. Well, always great ideas coming from Eric. We learned a lot. If we look back at the topics we discussed, we talked about having a story, how important it is, especially for you before you help them with publicity is to know their story and maybe work on that so that their, their one pager or the EPK uh, will actually attract attention and maybe have something that will attract fans so that it's, you're not just another artist that put out a New Music Friday single. We talked about using social media on a regular basis just to connect with fans, not only for asks, but also show us snippets of your life. I think that was a great uh, tip as well. And as always, Keep at it. Burn the boats. If you're going to be a musician, go for it. Give it your best shot. You never know. There's a, the algorithms sometimes will pick up a song. Yeah. I, I, once in a while, you go on Spotify and you'll see somebody will have like six million with one song and then five thousand for the next. Yeah. Yeah. And through no fault of that of that artist, through no doing of that artist, they can't even take credit for some of the time. They just somebody just happened to like the song and liked what they were about and gave you a shot. If people so, want so much of this stuff, dude, like, and you know this, Randall, so much of the success in the music industry has 
very little to do with the people actually creating it in the first place. Like so much of it is somebody saying thank you. So much of it is being at the right place at the right time or somebody bailed out at the last minute because they got sick and then they uh, they got a call and they were available. Half the battle is just showing up and just coming correct and giving people photos that are colorful and bright or the right size. I can't tell you how many times I have to go back to an artist saying, you just gave me a photo that's 116 kilobytes. That's the size of a, of a postage stamp. Like, <laughs> you know, but if you give me a couple of really great photos, you give me 20 different photos from that photo shoot, show that you're interested and that you're serious about it. You'll get a lot bigger story because of it. It's those little things that really, truly add up, you know, take a look at what other people are getting and start thinking about why they're getting them. Cause it's rarely about the song. Mm-hmm. That's the one secret sauce. That's going to be, I think eternal when it comes to music is just that serendipity of being the right place at the right time with yeah. talent, of course, backing it up. Cause if it's a bad song, it's not going to go anywhere, but when there is talent and there is those opportunities and they're, Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Because nobody cares. So go for it. Nobody's waiting to see what Randall's doing tomorrow, except Randall and the five people who love him and know him well. Same thing with me. We got nothing to lose. Who cares? Go do it. Exactly. You want to go do an album and take out seven songs next month and add in three new ones? Go for it. Be like Kanye. You know, <laughs> you want to make seven different music videos for one song? You want to make an official video and a live video and a uh, video. Yeah, a visualizer and a lyric video and a, an instrumental and a slideshow. Go for it. There's no rules. Go for it. Do it. Why not? Well, a great way to end this. Be creative. Think outside the box. I know, Eric, you think outside the box. You give a lot of tips. I think people should follow you. There should... is no box. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Randall. I had a, a huge amount of respect for you for doing this and, and the ideas and and listening to the last couple of podcasts as well. And thanks for having me on, man. I I truly appreciate it. Always happy to talk to you, Eric. I look forward to maybe bumping into you one day. Until then, we will keep reading about you. We'll keep listening to you and uh, keep those questions coming on Twitter. Excellent. Thanks, man. If you enjoy the show, share it with other musicians. Help us spread the word. Theme song written and performed by Wolves at Midnight. Thanks for listening to the Rockstar Today podcast. Now go out there and rock your business like you rock the stage.